Hello and welcome to another edition of It's Your Money, the podcast from Mayor Brownsword, where we put our financial snorkels on and take a deep dive into the world of money. I'm Andrew Harrison and here with me as ever, it's Andy Mayer. Hello Andy, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. We are recording on a funny old day, aren't we? Twilight of Boris. <laughs> I've just landed on Tuesday morning back from Boston where I've been at the Million Dollar Round Table and I go straight to the Morning Star Conference. It's like I've been in a parallel world for the last three <laughs> days, four days. I wouldn't have believed this was going to happen. So you've, you've been from the from the Million Dollar Conference to the 50p haircut conference with Boris. <laughs> Interestingly, at Morningstar, his brother, Leo, did an excellent chat on how we should transform society and life. Oh, that, that's great. Uh, was he going to have a word with his brother? It's been late now, hasn't it? <laughs> I thought that would make you laugh. Well, Boris Johnson has gone very punctually because today we're doing a half-time report on the British economy. We're six months into what promised to be a very difficult year at the start, and it only got more difficult as we went on. So how are we doing? We have uh, two guests to help us. Dan Kemp is Chief Investment Officer at Morningstar, the funds, stock and market data firm. Hi, Dan. How are you? Hello, Andrew. I'm doing very well, thank you, despite all the turmoil we have around us. Delighted to have you here. Also from Morningstar, we have Chief Investment Officer of Europe, Middle East and Africa, Mike Coop. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Andrew. It's lovely to be here. So let, let's start then. We are going to look at give a six-month half-time report on the British economy and where it's heading and indeed the world economy. Let's start with a summary. Where did Britain expect to be by now, six months into this turbulent year? And obviously, given the unprecedented effect of the Ukrainian war, where are we actually finding ourselves? Dan, what's your, what's your summary? Yeah, so I, I guess the first thing I'd say is it's always dangerous to, to look backwards because uh, we always suffer from this hindsight bias where we think we can see things things coming. But but I, I think if, if we try and go back and, and uh, get past that hindsight, then, of course, what we were seeing at the back end of last year was a, a genuine economic recovery starting to happen, obviously, uh, driven by the, the vaccine rollout. So people were able to, to get out and, and spend more time with, with each other, uh, buy some of the things that, that can't be delivered to your door uh, and get back into, into the office. So we saw, we saw things returning. And so I think from that, we would have expected uh, something of a, of a surge in, in demand, which in, in fact we, we saw. But of course, what people didn't see, which is impossible to see uh, in advance, was the impact of the Ukraine war. So the, uh, not just the, 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 the impact on supply chains and particularly food uh, and energy, which uh, we're, we're feeling so acutely now, but but also the psychological impact of uh, a war in mainland Europe, which changes the way that people think about the future. And so, I think we can we can sense some some negativity coming from that more generally, some concern about what's happening in the world more broadly. We can, we can look at the political crisis, of course, uh, and that's impacting uh, people's psychology as, as as well. And so, this this lots of negativity and that's been coupled with uh, a sort of final realization that maybe these u.s technology stocks are not something magical that they should be valued like any other business uh, and so they've been coming back down to earth as well and again we would have expected that latter point they uh, we've been talking for a long time about how overvalued uh, these companies were and what poor investments they were but at the same time uh, it's happened at a time where so many other things are happening as well that's compounded that negative feeling 
Yeah, to go from one massive disruption and unprecedented thing like the pandemic into the first land war in Europe in 80 years, it's unsurprising that there is massive disruption in sentiment and a massive, I mean, you know, one thing that even amateurs like me know is that markets like certainty and we have had the opposite of certainty for a long time. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And I think, and that's the, in some ways, the great deception about I- investment that uh, people uh, look into the future and believe that it's deterministic, that it will follow a particular path. And as they look behind them, they can uh, sort of seem to see a thread of history uh, leading to where we are now. But we always have to remember that the future is uncertain. Sometimes it feels uncertain and sometimes it feels certain, but it is always actually uncertain. Whenever you're thinking about uh, investment, then you have to really take into account that uncertainty and and try to imagine a broad range of potential outcomes rather than just the one that seems most likely right now. Andy, um, the, the British government entered 2022 thinking they had a big but straightforward task of dealing with the bill for the pandemic. Uh, since then, we saw the kind of divergence of the two approaches, the, the Johnson spend versus the Sunak, uh, which was kind of forced to spend during the pandemic, wasn't it? It was desperately trying to, to, to claw it back. How do, how do you think, I mean, setting aside the leadership craziness of the past few days, from an economic point of view, how do you think they'll be looking back on what they did in the first six months? I think it's interesting what Dan's just said. It's very easy to look back with hindsight and go, oh, we should have done that. I think what people like Dan and Mike and investors want now is a clear approach to what we are going to do in the future. Because I think when you've got one person arguing with another and they're both in government, it doesn't help analysts, fund managers make decisions on what is the best for us as a country in terms of how we invest money. And I think what we're all looking for now is a clear approach to whoever takes over number 10 and whoever he puts in at number 11, have a clear, consistent approach, because then I think it allows people to look at what they are doing and make some decisions with not certainty, but with some basic outlines of where we're going. Yeah, um, the Bank of England has warned us has warned, warned us to brace ourselves for an extremely tough autumn. Can you put a bit of flesh on the bones of that, Andy? And you know, what should listeners expect, and how should they prepare for it? Well, I think one thing is that mortgage rates are going up, and people's cost of borrowings we've seen go up virtually double. So people were fixing at the start of the year for five years, one point five, one point six, one point seven. You're now looking at three percent. That's also being passed on to credit card borrowings. So for some people, their disposable income has gone down. And I think the Bank of England, as I landed on Tuesday, have said they'll make tough decisions and they're prepared to put interest rates up even further. So that is going to definitely be one side effect of what's coming on. And I think Bank of England are trying to curb inflation by rises to interest rates, which will be very interesting when we get whoever the Chancellor is, whether Nadim stays in power for two or three days or two or three weeks but where there's going to be the conflict between the Chancellor of the Exchequer and the Bank of England about how to get us out of the situation we're in at the moment. Mike, I mean, we're in an economic storm, the likes of which very few of us are are familiar. Can we look at it from an investment point of view? I mean, what what are the, uh, you know, Dan mentioned uh, tech stocks in America particularly being overvalued. Where are things heading? What should listeners be doing and what should they be avoiding? Uh, Well, rule number one would be don't rely on any political and economic forecasts. <laughs> uh, so we've seen time and time again that it's been pretty difficult 
to forecast exactly what's going to happen, there are shocks that happen, and the way in which different you know, entities, governments, central banks react isn't always exactly what we expect. So instead, you can look at two things. Firstly, you can look at whether the scenarios which markets are pricing in actually make sense. Uh, and I'll come back to that. And then secondly, we can look at the behavior of other investors. Those two things can tell us a lot about what we should be doing. So in terms of the scenarios, markets you know, are finally pricing in a full response by the central banks, as Andy was indicating, to fighting inflation. It's a do-whatever-it-takes mentality. What that's meant is that bond markets have now factored in uh, interest rates going up quite a bit. And that's made bonds a lot safer because they're factoring that in and the yields are much higher. Uh, so for us, bonds now actually look more attractive as a diversifier for people's portfolios in a recessionary environment because the yields are higher and they're factoring in rate rises. There is always the possibility that interest rates do not go up by that amount. Uh, and it really depends upon how things play out. So that that's one of the things in terms of the scenario that uh, markets currently pricing that gives us a little more comfort about being comfortable owning, and we've been buying bonds as that's happened. The second is is, is the investors' mood has swung from euphoria last year to caution this year, and you can see it in the way prices of riskier assets have fallen sharply, and expectations have fallen too. So equities actually are also becoming more attractive than they were, although few markets are cheap. So. Again, for people who have long-term savings goals, I can put money away. Um, you know, actually, it's been—it's now a better time to invest money than it was before. All right. I mean, that, that is interesting because, uh, as is often the recurring theme on this podcast, Andy telling people, "Get your money out of money and get it get it invested. You don't need it in cash." That's actually that's taking shape now. Yeah, I, I think we can't forecast exactly what's going to happen, but. The simple maths is that you can now get more for your money when you invest, right. and uh, and and so for anybody who wants to build up their wealth, it's it's a better opportunity. And, and in fact, were this to continue in this direction of markets were to fall further, it would become even more attractive. So as far as we're concerned, you know, there could be some great uh, opportunities to to accelerate your savings and build up your investments if that does happen. You, you say equities, um, and Dan's just pointed out that certain tech stocks have, have, have sort of crashed to earth. What, you know, which particular areas of uh, of equities are, are showing longer term robustness? Because obviously, a year ago we were saying, "Oh yes, great, put your money into Zoom and put your money into Uber and all these kind of tech tech companies that were supposedly part of the new, uh, you know, hybrid working environment." What what is shaking out over the long term as the more attractive places to be? Well, when we look at the world, we try and answer that question by looking at two things. Firstly, what does the, the, the growth in the earnings and the cash flows look like and how much risk are those companies having to take to, to get those, those growth rates? Now, um, this, uh, uh, and then, and then we, we look at how investors are valuing those companies. So it was certainly the case last year that a lot of the companies that found favor were actually pretty risky companies, many of which weren't scheduled to make money for years, many of which uh, were exposed to competition. And so investors were, gave them the benefit of the doubt. And even though some of those companies, the technology-focused companies, were well-placed to uh, ride the trends, actually um, – the competitive pressures were building, 
And what was more important was the valuation. So as Dan was mentioning, it's all very well to have a brilliant business which can do well. But if investors are paying way too much for it, then the expectations that investors have cannot be met in most scenarios in terms of the future growth of those companies. So the long the long and the short of it is, um, last year, it was the boring companies that weren't the sexy, innovative companies and were exposed to the ups and downs of the cycle who were actually uh, so attractively priced that they were able to give you higher returns. And that's what's happened. There were also parts of the market of boring stuff that you buy generally in recession as much as you might buy in a boom. Um, and they've offered pretty good resistance to some of the falls of markets. Fast forward to today, what's happened those part, other parts of the market, the cyclicals that were attractively valued, the defensive stuff, have held up better. And it's been the, the sexy growth companies that have been smashed because they were way overpriced. So for us, what the shifts that have happened is that actually those we're, – we're, we're fostering. We're trying to find those quality businesses that now are much better priced than they were before. So that's one element. We're also seeing some other uh, uh, opportunities as well in particular countries that have gone through a tough time and the prices reflect some of those poor scenarios. And so Chinese equities would be uh, an example of that. Andy, I want to ask you about inflation, uh, which we mentioned already, the, and the cost of living crisis. I mean, we knew it was rumbling through last year. I don't think anybody was fully expecting it to let rip the way that it did. How much of this was within the government's control? I mean, they spent a lot of time trying to blame the Bank of England for it. Having just come back from America, I was there in December in New York, and I've just come back from Boston in June. They've got inflation. It's a worldwide issue. I mean, the cost of food over there was ridiculous. One of my friends who lives in Tulsa, my best mate, always says he used to eat out two, three times a week. He now goes out once. So I think when we look at inflation, it is global, and it's not something that's just UK-dominated. I think if it was just UK-dominated, I think Mike and Dan would have had a different conversation on some of the areas you can invest in. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depends on how you look at it, this is a worldwide phenomenon. And it, in the States, just shocked me how much everything had gone up. Mm. I can tell you what shocked me, going to Glastonbury, <laughs> the £6 pint and the £9 curry. It, even Glastonbury is not immune from the inflationary spiral. Um, I want to ask you, Andy, I mean, this is something we've mentioned before on the podcast. What is the smart investment move during a, in an inflationary environment? I think Mike and Dan on Tuesday when we were talking, it's about losing the least amount of money against real terms. Because when we talk about making money, the one index we should all look at is inflation. People too many often talk about, oh, I've beaten the FTSE or I've beaten the Dow. It's irrelevant. You're looking to try and beat inflation and stay, what are your long-term goals? Are you still on target for your long-term goals? And that's critical that people get a bit of turbulence and don't jump out of a plane. And it's really important we look at what is long-term. One of the benefits, which sounds quite obtuse, is that with inflation coming back, some people who are getting close to retirement, annuities, which have been dinosaurs for a number of years, have seen some decent rises in annuity rates being paid out. And with inflation here, it might be that annuities for certain sections of the population who come to retire make a, break, make a breakthrough again. But whatever we say, it's a tough environment because there's no funds going to make 11% over a year. So it's about doing the best with the money in an incredibly challenging time, but not forgetting that your long-term aim is where you want to be as a not-just reacting as Dan and Mike always talk about noise in the market you've got to shut the noise out 
and keep looking forward to where you're going. Mike, one weird aspect of this period is that the stock market performance has actually been pretty strong. How come it's doing so well? I mean, obviously, the stock market isn't the economy, but the FTSE is around pre-pandemic levels now. Why is it suddenly doing so well? Well, actually, June was a pretty tough month for uh, for equity markets. And I think very few markets were able to escape that. The UK, because it has more exposure to energy companies, and also, it had been so out of favour because of because of the the effects of uh, or fears about Brexit that it withstood the sell off in very over uh, overpriced assets that we saw happening in the first half of the year. So that first half of the year was really uh, an overvaluation led sell off, and the UK market had far fewer overvalued companies, and so it's generally held up better. It also happened to have more energy companies. And those were particularly undervalued, but also in the short-term beneficiaries of, of the move up in, in oil prices. Uh, and part of that has come from the effects of the, the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. So for us, you know, it's that long-term valuation of the market that is one of the reasons why it's held up. It's the sector mix. You know, we don't know what's going to happen next in terms of in terms of what's going to what's going to happen to the economy and the markets. But UK still looks pretty reasonable to us on those bases, although we would highlight the fact that energy companies have done very well. And, you know, there's a variety of scenarios and not all, not all those scenarios are going to be positive for, for energy companies. And so I think from that point of view, you know, uh, we're closer to closer to uh, to those having run their course than some of the other parts of the market. Dan, tell us about that noise in the stock market. <laughs> what is it and how do we screen it out? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's pretty difficult, uh, to, to be honest, and that's why we constantly have to be on our guard that uh, as we look forward, there's really two things going on in the stock market. The first thing is that the companies that uh, we own as shareholders are gr- typically growing their profits and returning those profits uh, to shareholders uh, like us, and so providing that return on the capital we've placed with them. And while those profits will rise and fall a little bit, while sometimes one company will do better and and sometimes another, and of course part of the job of the investment manager is to try and find companies that will uh, grow uh, faster and with less risk, as Mike mentioned earlier, uh, and be less prone to becoming obsolete. Uh, So those companies, although their earnings will rise and fall, they they, they tend to go through change fairly slowly. Uh, Now, there's another thing going on, which is the way that people perceive the future of those companies. And and that changes uh, much more rapidly and with a much greater magnitude, depending on whether people are feeling optimistic or feeling pessimistic. And so if we take a a company that most people know, Tesla, for example, uh, then uh, six months ago, a year ago, people were incredibly optimistic about the future for for Tesla. And you could tell that uh, by the price that you were having to pay for those future earnings. that, that enormous amount of optimism was was, was built into those prices. Uh, and so Tesla was more valuable in those terms than every other car company out there and, and plus of it. So uh, there are times when people feel very optimistic. There are times when people feel incredibly pessimistic uh, and you see prices much lower. What we're seeing at the moment, particularly
and those technology stocks and the over, uh, overpriced stocks that, that Mike mentioned is a move uh, in sentiment from the very optimistic uh, to the pessimistic. So that creates um, a share price movements. And those movements uh, tend to affect us emotionally. Uh, they can help. They can make us feel pessimistic uh, or make us feel optimistic. And the stock market is unlike everything else because if we were to go into a shop and we were suddenly to find everything on sale, then we're more likely to buy uh, than to walk out. And equally, if we walk into a shop, we've seen every uh, every price has gone up by ten or fifteen percent. We're more likely to walk out the shop uh, than buy something. But the stock market is very much the opposite. Uh, when prices have risen, uh, we tend to be more optimistic. And when prices have fallen, we become more pessimistic, which is exactly the wrong thing to do. So you have this, this noise from the, the share prices. Uh, and that's just around companies. Of course, in the background, then, we've got all the other events that are going on that are, that are affecting the sentiment of investors. So that could be uh, that could be the terrible war that's going on in Ukraine. It could be uh, speculation about what uh, central banks are doing or what uh, what's happening in other parts of the, the, the world. Uh, and all of these things combine uh, to drive people to make sure term decisions uh, just based on on this news flow and that really drives prices up and down that drives us emotionally unless we're very careful and that's the key challenge for investors because over the long term all of this uh, these ups and downs of markets are really unlikely to make much of a difference to the return that you receive over over 10 15 20 years. Uh, now, you can improve that return by buying uh, more when markets are very extreme and they're very, they're, uh, investors are very pessimistic and, and trimming your exposure uh, when investors are very optimistic or moving to parts of the market where people aren't so optimistic. And of course, that's what we do as professional investment managers. But 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 nevertheless, it's unlikely to make a huge uh, difference to the eventual return you get on your money. And that's why it's so important to try and block out the noise and really focus on the long term and not try to make decisions based on recent market movements. That's normally a trap. Uh, so it, it leads us to, uh, to, to to buy and sell, typically at the wrong times for the wrong reasons. And if we do that continually, then we can just see our capital whittled away. And so much better to be patient, uh, to think about the long term, to, to work with great advisors uh, like Andy who did you say like or unlike, Andy? I couldn't quite catch that. Like Andy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, to wrap up our six-month half-time assessment of where the economy is at, uh, obviously there's going to be a huge political change in Britain. We don't know who's taking over. Um, but uh, and Andy Mayer, I mean, there are certain constrictions around uh, whoever comes in. What are you expecting in Britain from the, from the next Chancellor? A fiscally tighter, more Thatcherite approach, or what do you think? I suspect there's an election in two years, so people will be looking to protect themselves and we might get a few tax breaks. But ultimately, I think if Dan, Mike and I were all on this, we'd probably say we want a consistent approach because it would allow Dan and Mike to look at the future, not with certainty, but have an understanding of what governments and the Bank of England are doing. And I think it's very easy to predict and you can make a complete ass of yourself. But what I would like is a government with number 10 and number 11 aligned and have a consistent approach to what we, the consumer needs and what it would allow Dan and Mike to look at and go, this is going to help us make good decisions. Because ultimately, it's about the noise and we just need a clear message and it should stop some of the noise that does spook people. Okay, Mike, what, what are you expecting from the next six months? So there's certain things that are already in train. We've highlighted 
the uh, rise in interest rates. We've, mm-hmm. we've highlighted the fact that prices have gone up and that means people have less money to spend. Um, and the combination of those two together typically means that the economy tends to slow uh, uh, on account of, of higher debt costs and less money in the pocket to spend on things. Uh, just how central banks actually re- react, whether they fully uh, uh, raise rates by the amounts uh, priced in, we don't really know. Um, those things are there. I, I think for us as investors, um, you know, we're continuing to see the shift in investor expectations, people talking about recession, expecting recession, and in some cases starting to look at what that could mean for share prices. So while that's certainly a scenario, um, I think for us, the main message really is we're on the lookout. We're on the lookout for more bargains to become available if investors do get more pessimistic, if asset prices do fall and rates go up. And so I think we're on the alert for that. Um, and what's happened so far is it's made it actually a safer environment to invest because inv- investors have gone from being uh, frankly crazy last year uh, to, to, to much more sane this year. That's one thing to be optimistic about. Thank God for that. Um, Dan, how about you? What's what's your advice for the next six months? Well, I think the, the first thing I'd say is, again, it's not about the next six months. Uh, it's a, for most people, it's about the next five to ten years. So as Mike says, uh, you know, we'll be looking for opportunities as, uh, as as prices fall and, and equally if we see prices rise very sharply, then uh, we'll, be, we'll be trying to be more um, more defensively positioned as, uh, as well. But I think the key thing for people right now is to, is to think about their, uh, their savings and making sure that uh, they're prepared for uh, some of the, those, those inflationary pressures that are coming through from a, from a personal uh, perspective. Uh, and and then tr- from an investment perspective, trying to look uh, beyond that and, and not to be buffeted uh, by every latest news story that's that's coming out or every every crisis that we're that we're seeing. That's a that's a road to ruin. So uh, stay patient. Um, focus on getting your your budgeting and your savings uh, in, in in order. Uh, and really, from an investment perspective, try to look much further beyond uh, the end of the year. You're dangerously close to saying keep calm and carry on. Right, Dan? <laughs> dangerously <laughs> close, but manage not to. <laughs> and that is the end of this edition of the podcast. Listeners, we, we hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you to Mike Coop. My pleasure. Always uh, fun. And hope, hopefully that was uh, one more look back on and think that wasn't too bad, but we'll see. Yes, yes. With a bit of luck. Uh, thank you to Dan Kemp. Oh, it's a pleasure, Andrew. Thank you for having us on. Always good to have you here. And thanks as ever to Andy Mayer. Thank you very much, Andrew. I'm off to get a kit to cover from jet lag. But just a reminder that we take August off because most people are on holiday. We're back doing this again in September. Okay. Enjoy your summer, everyone. We'll see you then. Don't forget to follow It's Your Money on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your uh, your podcasting entertainment. The next edition will come to your phone seamlessly if you follow us. We hope you found this one useful. Have a lovely summer and we'll see you in September. <laughs>